Well, Randy, it's going to be hard to follow your wife, I'm sure. Always is. <laughs> Randy, bring us a message. Okay. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for this day that you've made that we can rejoice and be glad in. I pray that you would uh, illuminate your word this morning in a way that uh, brings glory to yourself, first of all, that brings growth and nourishment and replenishment to our souls. Uh, we love you, Lord Jesus, and we, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, uh, to speak this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to share a few thoughts this morning about the light of the world. Um, excuse me just a second. I'm trying a new piece of equipment, and we'll see how it works. Um, as most of you know, I've been a video producer and storyteller for 42 years of my adult life. And in my work, I deal a lot with light. In order to shoot beautiful video, it requires light. It used to require much more light than it does today, but the amazing advancements in digital camera and sensor technology have made the amount or intensity of light required to capture a low noise image on the sensor of a camera to be much, much less than it used to be. In fact, it's possible today with the technology packed in an iPhone to produce a feature length movie. Now, of course, capturing a good image is only part of the process. The storytelling aspect and the, the expertise in shot composition and editorial decisions necessary to bring that story to life and to elicit emotion or to compel the viewer to respond in some way, that's still the art that drives the technology. Otherwise, I'm out of business. <laughs> there are three basic light sources used to create effective lighting. There's a key light, which is the primary source, which I have over here. There's a fill light on the, op a fill light on the opposite side, and it softens the shadows on the opposite side of the subject's face from the key light. And then there's a backlight, and that creates a sense of depth by setting the subject apart from their background. Now, the position and intensity of these lighting sources determines the emotional impact of an image. You can set different moods in an image depending on whether you use or don't use one or more of these lights and with their placement. And, of course, you can use many other lights to accent different parts of the screen. But you know, at its core, all of production lighting is an attempt to recreate artificially what God does naturally with only one key light, the sun. The moon is what we would call a bounce light. The light from the moon is a reflection of the key light source, the sun. On a spiritual parallel, the sun, S-O-N, is the key light in the world. You could say, in one sense, that we're to be his moon to the world, a bounce light that reflects him in the darkness. Well, this morning, I want to consider for a few minutes the Son of God revealed as the light of the world. There are at least three key thoughts that I hope you will glean from the message this morning. First, believing leads to life. Believing leads to life. And secondly, life brings light. And thirdly, life precedes light. We'll be looking primarily this morning in the gospel according to John, and we begin with chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That was in the first song, I think, that 
Bill led us in this morning. In the beginning was the word. Now the Greek word here is logos. It means the word. It's one of the titles of Christ, but it's only used in John's writings. As the logos, the word, Christ is the revealer of God. He came into the world to reveal the character and nature of God to the world. He came to reveal himself. God gave us this written word through different authors of the same spirit to, real, to reveal Jesus, the living word, the logos, who is the revelation of God. And the Holy Spirit illuminates his word to us that we might believe and find life in him. There is no further revelation outside of Jesus Christ and his God-breathed, God-inspired written word. It is the word of God revealed in Christ, the Logos, that reveals who God is. John also describes for us in Revelations 19, 11 through 13, the coming Christ in this way. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus, the Logos, the Revealer. Now there are many who have and many who have and many who will miss the mark on who Christ is, and many will fall for Satan's ploy of further revelation. All that God has to say to us about himself and about his thoughts and intentions towards us are revealed in his word and in Jesus. And we know from scripture that Christ sent the Holy Spirit to seal us as believers and to illuminate to us the truth of his word. Christ is the Logos, the word found here in verse 1 of chapter 1 of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What's the driving purpose behind John's gospel? The purpose of the 21 chapters in John's account of Jesus seems very much to me to be to reveal to anyone who will listen that Christ is the true light, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. He is the living water, he is the bread of life. He is the good shepherd. He is the word, the logos, the revealer. The words that Jesus spoke, the truth that he taught, the, the claims he made of where he came from and where he was going to, the signs and miracles that he performed, the singularly unique relationship that he had and that he has with the Father. These were some of the messages of John's account of his life-changing encounter with the living God the Son of Man, the light of the world. All these things are found in the Gospel of John. I want to home in for just a few minutes on a key, uh, few key points of light regarding John's account of Christ's life. 
beginning at the end of the near the end of the chapter or the end of the book, John's gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John said, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I believe this was the essence of John's writing, to proclaim Christ so that the hearers of the living word might believe and in believing have life in his name. Believing is central to the gospel of John. In John's gospel, you will not find the word faith. You will not find the word belief, but the word believe is used 55 times. Faith and belief are nouns. Believe is a verb. It's an action word. Believing requires action. It required action on God's part to make it available, to make it so, to provide it. And it requires action on our part to receive it. John's gospel was written in order that you may believe in Jesus and find life in his name. Now, John skillfully presents the case for Christ in his gospel account. When witnessing or sharing with someone who has interest in spiritual things, we often encourage them to read the gospel of John before any other book in the Bible, don't we? Well, why do we do that? It's because the account of Christ's life and ministry as written by John was written so that the hearer or reader might believe that Jesus was not just a good teacher or a good man, but that he was indeed, in fact, the Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, the Savior of the world, the light of the world. And in believing in Christ, they might have life in his name. Now, verse 1 establishes Christ as the Word of God existing with God in the beginning and, in fact, being God in himself. Christ was not only in the beginning with God, but he was an active participant in the creation of all things. And all things were created through him and are held together by him. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John also establishes in the first few verses of his gospel that in Jesus is life, and his life is is the light of men. The word light in verses 4 and 5 is capitalized. Well, why is that? It's capitalized because it's a proper noun. Well, what is that, you might ask? A proper noun is a noun that's used to denote a particular person, place, or thing, according to the dictionary. Jesus is a particular person. He is the light. He is the light, and there is no other light like him. His light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. It cannot perceive him or overtake his light. John 1, 9 through 13 says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus is the light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Apart from Jesus, we're just dead men walking. We're spiritually lifeless. We're devoid of the life of God. But when the living word comes to us and he beckons us by his spirit to follow him, and we do that in humble obedience, we find and we receive the life of God. It's the experience described to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again. To be born again is to be called by God to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and to trust in him to receive the life of God by grace. When we step out in the act of believing in Christ, we inhale the breath of the life of God and are awakened to his light. There is no other way to receive the life of God without believing in Jesus. And believing precedes receiving life. But once we believe, we receive his life and we receive the light and the light shines in the darkness of our hearts and souls. And the darkness cannot resist it. It cannot put it out. In fact, in that moment, God begins a work of grace in our lives to drive out the darkness and bring light to every corner and crevice of our souls. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Remember, darkness must give way to light. Darkness cannot consume or apprehend the light. Darkness is subservient to the light. Perhaps we have times where we're struggling with doubt or fear, or maybe we're going through a dark season of the soul. When that happens, remember you're a child of light. You have the light of God within you. The darkness cannot overpower you if he is your light. A little further in chapter 3 of John's gospel, Jesus testified of himself in verses 19 through 21. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. We go to the light to have our sins exposed and expunged by his grace and mercy. One of the greatest examples in scripture of the grace and mercy of God is found in John's gospel and the encounter, the encounter with the Pharisees who had brought a woman to him that was caught in adultery whom they sought to stone to death. The scene is set in the beginning of chapter 8 of John after Jesus had sat down in the temple and began to teach all the people that were coming to him. And the scribes and the Pharisees present challenged him, they said, using scripture. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? The scripture continues in verses 6 through 11. They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, 
But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Grace and mercy personified. Such life, such light. The next verse in John 8 is verse 12, of course, and we don't know how much time has passed till this took place, but Jesus makes the most incredible statement to the crowd around him in this verse. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus has said an incredible thing. He is the light of the world. And if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. His amazing words had barely had time to settle in their minds when the Pharisees tried to sidetrack him about the authority of his testimony. Jesus went along with them and spends the next few verses talking about his relationship to the Father. Seven times he talks about being from the Father, going to the Father, saying and doing according to the authority of the Father, etc. He was declaring his equal relationship with the Father. And in verse 18, he declares, You know neither me nor my Father. <laughs> if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Then in verses 28 through 30, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Some versions add the word he, but the original says I am, of course, reminding us of the revealed name of God in the Old Testament. I am, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Jesus is the light of the world. Follow him and you will have the light of life. Many listening to Jesus knew what he was saying. They knew who he was claiming to be, and no doubt putting aside the question of how, they followed the answer that their hearts told them regarding the who, Jesus. He is the light of the world. Follow him, and you will have the light of life. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, follow me and have the light of life, what are your options? We either follow him and step into the light and then walk in his light the rest of our lives, or we continue to grope around in darkness, fumbling around being darkened in our minds because our hearts are cold to the life of God that's only found in Jesus Christ. You know, it's been said that seeing is believing, but God turns this around. In God's economy, believing is seeing. It's important, I think, to realize that light always follows life. 
We must receive the life of God before we can perceive and walk in the light of God. Christ is our life, and in him we live and move and exist, or have our being, as the scripture says in Acts 17, 27. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was Sean that asked a very poignant question. If someone has troubles or difficulties, is it because of sin? Greg had a great answer. Sometimes hardships are a direct result of sin. As someone once said, we don't break God's law, it breaks us. There are consequences of willful sin. But sometimes we face difficulties because of someone else's sin. For instance, on a simple trip to the grocery store, I might be the victim of a drunk driver's sinful lifestyle. Now, Lisa would say the chances of that happening are extremely rare because I never go to the grocery store. But you follow my meaning. Sometimes we may face difficulties because God allows something to happen in our lives in order that he might receive the glory when we trust him to give us the grace to walk through it or to be rescued from it. It's a testimony to his life and his light at work within us. There's an example of this in John's next reference to Christ as light of the world, which is found in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Excuse me a second. <clears throat> as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied it, the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. This is what takes place when we follow Jesus. We're washed and we come back seeing. The Pharisees, ever on the watch for a way to trap or persecute Jesus, focused not on the fact that this man who had been born blind could now see, but rather that Jesus had performed this miracle on the Sabbath and therefore must be a sinner according to their understanding of the law. So they launched an investigation and that led to interrogations as politically postured pursuits are apt to do. And eventually finding no way to use this man to incriminate Jesus, they let him go. Actually, the scripture says they put him out. They didn't bless him on the way out the door. Why did they treat him this way? Possibly because the man answered their attempts at putting words in his mouth by answering like this in John 9, 25 through 34. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. 
the man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? So they put him out. The old adage that there are none so blind as those who will not see certainly is applicable to these religious leaders. Here's a man who was blind, and because he acted on what Jesus told him to do, he believed, he took action. He was washed, and he came back seeing. Without the life of God that only comes through following Christ, we are dead men and women. And what do dead people need more than anything else? They need life. And can dead people see? No, they cannot see light because they're dead. They are lightless because they are lifeless. Life precedes light. We live in dark times. Every generation has had dark times. We know from Scripture that darker and harder times are coming before Christ returns and arrests the darkness at which time we'll live through a thousand years of absolute light under the rule and reign of Christ. And after that, we step into eternity in the light of God. But for now, as 1 Corinthians 13, 12 through 13 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. For now, we only know in part what God has in store for those who love him, who follow him, and abide in his word. These are our part times, if you will. Well, how do we walk through difficulties in our part times? By walking in the light of Christ. If we follow him and he is our light, then we have the light of life. The next reference to the light in the Gospel of John is in chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Then Jesus again speaks to his relationship to the Father, but this time with more urgency, beginning in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. 
I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, this occurred just prior to observing the Lord's Supper in chapter 13 of John. And then in the subsequent chapters, it moves on to the Garden of Gethsemane, his arrest, his trial, his beating, and ultimately to Golgotha's hill and Christ's crucifixion on the cross. There was urgency in his words. There still is. As we again approach the celebration of the risen Christ at Easter, we remember the price that Christ paid to be the propitiation or the appeasement for our sins before the Father. In a few short weeks, we will observe Good Friday, the day of crucifixion. And on the third day, as Lisa was sharing, we will celebrate the empty tomb of our resurrection, resurrected Lord as seen in chapter 20 of John's Gospel. And then in chapter 21, it relates Jesus' time with the disciples before his ascension to the Father. And one of the most powerful moments is on the beach where Jesus has prepared breakfast for the disciples who'd gone fishing and caught nothing until the master showed up. Simon Peter had simply said, I'm going fishing. And the other said, we will also come with you because sometimes you just got to go fishing. Well, they fished all night and they caught nothing. Sometimes when we don't understand what's happening in our lives or what we're supposed to do next, we just go do what we're used to doing. For Peter, that was fishing. For the other disciples, it was just, if Peter's going fishing, we're going to. <laughs> but then Jesus shows up. They don't even know it's him at first. But when the light of life appeared on the beach at the Sea of Tiberias, he called out to them saying, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. The disciples were at a point in life where they would try anything for a different result. So they cast on the right side of the boat, they not only found a catch, they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. When Jesus shows up, no matter how bleak or desperate times may seem, there's always an abundance waiting for us on the right side of our circumstances. It may not be fish, but it will be faith, the power to believe in him. Now we can choose to keep doing what we're used to keep doing and keep doing it the way we've always done it, or we can listen to the master's voice and follow his command and cast on the right side. And when you recognize it's Jesus leading and guiding, you do as Peter did. The scripture says that when he knew it was Jesus, Peter threw himself into the sea. Well, they were not far from shore, but Peter couldn't wait to get to Jesus. This is our faith relationship with Christ. He speaks to us through his word, and through the hearing of his word, we find faith, or as John would put it, the power to believe. And in obeying and following, we have life, and the light of life within us. You know, we either have life or we don't. We either have light or we live in darkness. Jesus is the only light. He's the light of life. He's the light of the world. 
In closing, I want us to consider what transpired over that breakfast on the beach near the end of John's gospel. Jesus had a very personal conversation with Peter that went like this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I can only imagine that the events of the days and few weeks earlier are still very raw for Peter. He had denied the Lord three times and deserted him during his trial and crucifixion. He must have been feeling pretty weak and inadequate in showing his love for the Lord. Maybe that's why he jumped into the sea. He wanted Jesus to know that he was passionate in his love for him. But he was grieved that Jesus would ask him a third time if he loved him. The Lord's message to Peter was simple and pure. If you love me, tend my sheep, care for my flock, grow my church. Then the Lord said this to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to him, follow me. The Lord is still calling us today to follow him. No matter what lies ahead of us, Jesus says, follow me. When we believe, we receive the life of God, and then we walk in his light for he is the light of the world. Jesus' words to Peter still resonate with the life of the Spirit within to us this morning. He says to us, if you love me, feed my lambs, build my church, follow me. Believing leads to life. Life brings light. Brothers and sisters, walk in the light of life. I'll ask Preston if he would pray for us in closing. Father, there's so much to yet to understand and learn from you. And Lord, Randy's spoken of, of the light of your love, the light of the knowledge that you give us. And yet we're also told that you dwell in unapproachable light. And yet at the same time, you say that we can come before you with confidence. Lord, it's a great mystery. It's a mystery of the price that it costs for us to be able to do that. 
it's a mystery of how you can love us so much that you would that you would even reveal a little bit of who you are to us. And Father, I just pray this morning that the words that Randy has shared, Lord, that they would just continue to illuminate our hearts and our minds. First, our minds, Father, that you might see that within our hearts there's, there's that deep desire to follow you, no matter the cost. And so, Lord, we, we do give ourselves uh, anew to you, as Bill was saying earlier, that we are a uh, present ourselves as an offering to you today. Lord, that you would find us in the place that we are, and Lord, that we would walk with you. Thank you that, we would, that we would believe, Father, that we might see the next step you, you give us to take. And we thank you, Father, that you encourage us. You encourage us daily as we wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, person. Thank you, Randy. And thank you, Lisa. So church, um, Randy and Lisa have, um, have poured out their hearts to us this morning and shared a, um, powerful messages about um, the foretelling of the Savior and how all of history pointed to that centermost point in history when Jesus would come and die for our sins and then be raised again. Randy called us to believe. He called us to follow him. So is there, is there a response that anyone would like to share? Uh, believing, following Christ. Maybe you feel like God has told you which where to cast your net. We all have nets that are need to be cast at some point. Any thoughts anyone would like to share? It's a lot to consider. Yeah. Greg, it looks like you're talking, but you are muted. We'll, we'll be that way then. <laughs> Hopefully just, not for the whole message. I just want to say that I, I really appreciate both of you guys this morning. Randy and Lisa, both a lot of prayer and excellent message. And I, I really appreciate it, what you've done. Um, you know, I, I just like Preston said, there's a lot to to listen to and absorb and reflect on. Uh, when, when I look at the, the Old Testament, you see time after time that, that God blesses Israel and when he blesses them, they tend to forget him. And then the hard times come and they grumble. And it's sort of an imitation or we're an imitation of that today. When God blesses us, we take it as a, well, we deserve it. And we don't think to thank God. And then when he doesn't, we call on him and go, God, what's wrong? Why, why would you cause trouble for me? After all, I'm a believer. And 
what happens in all these cases is we just take our eyes off God. And seeing Jesus as the light tells us to keep our eyes where it belongs, where they belong. Thank you, guys. You know, Randy, it, it struck me that uh, at least the first recorded action we have of God is light be. Um, <laughs> the first, the very first thing that we have is let there be light. Um, and maybe, maybe that was a command for the sun to get busy and, and do all the things that, all the good works that were created <laughs> through him. Um, and he's been trying to do that in different depths and measures since the beginning of time. Um, just it's it's a it's a big, broad, deep subject to 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 talk about and to think about and to meditate. And I think every time we stop and and do as you have done in pre preparing this message, uh, there's just more there that he's willing to show us uh, if we'll just. Uh, be humble and wait and listen and follow. I'm sorry it was so long. I cut 10 minutes out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Did not seem long, Randy. No, it didn't. It didn't seem long at all, Randy. Did you record this bill? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm recording it now. I just wanted to share, too, that. Um, it, yeah. Lisa and Randy, of course, as we know, are a very powerful one-two punch and is certainly very dynamic in your dual presentation today. This weekend was a faculty retreat for NC State. And in fact, for all faculty across the state to get together and uh, talk about ways that uh, we could be more successful in spreading the gospel on our campuses. And we've had over probably uh, 50 people that have come all from different universities and campuses and the speaker uh, at the end of the of our day session yesterday was speaking about successes you know and in academia we think of success as having um, recognition amongst our peers or financial compensation and and he said it all boils down to really as Christians one thing to be in the presence of God when we meet him and him saying well done good and faithful servant and and i thought wow that's so true and so powerful and and yet it's where it's at for all of us and you know as lisa was sharing this morning about the feast it just signaled uh to um the fact that jesus is that sheep and we also have to recognize that it's so easy to to go away from the light but uh, as Randy pointed out, it is the light really that gives us life. And so, you know, I was just thinking even the, the verb believe, as he mentioned, uh, has, has such connotations of action. And we also would consider the fact that, you know, if, he were, if we were to receive that, that blessing, that greeting of well done, good and believing servant, um, that would just be an awesome accolade, a wonderful aspiration, and, uh, you know, something that he has created us for, to be successful in life and to be successful in him. So thanks for sharing. Both of you have, have really um, gone through the, 
the scriptures in a way which is so meaning meaningful from Old to New Testament. Thank you, Wayne. And Lisa, I loved it how um, the Lord had you in that place about the feast right at the time that he was giving you something that was feeding you that you gave to feed and encourage us. And Randy, you with as a, a videographer, I, I loved that that first comment, the way that you brought us into the things about the uh, the key light and the fill light and the backlight and um, saying that life is so important, light is so important as a videographer that as a producer and storyteller, light is so important. And um, it made me think about, you know, God is the greatest storyteller. And he's told the story and Preston, like you said, in the beginning, he, he talked about light and, and just how you shared that out of your own personal experience. You know that if there's not light, there's not a picture, there's not a video, there's not anything that people can see. And, um, and Jesus and is, wants us to see. <laughs> he's so practical in the things that he shares. So both of y'all again, out of the places that you are and, and what, what God's done in you and giving you, thank you so much for giving to us this morning. There really is a lot to think about and chew on, and um, it's good to have a meal to be able to chew on, not only today, but the rest of the week, to chew on the things that y'all have shared out of your lives. He's the key light. <laughs> he is. I, I loved you sharing that. And that we're to be moons. <laughs> to bounce. Yeah, you have to be careful how you share that, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that be a moon to, to the world. Uh, a moon yeah. to the world. Yeah. yeah. Bounce that light. Yeah. yeah, I do have a song uh, I'd like to, for us to sing and to, to close this time. Uh,
to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to Step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see the beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life to spend with We do worship you. Thank you, Lord, for being everything we could have possibly desired or wanted and more. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us by the power of your word and the work of your spirit within us. Thank you, Lord, for pointing and giving us signs and, and foreshadowing, Lord, of the greatness of, of, your, of, your, of your provision of life and light and love. Thank you, Jesus, that you fulfilled these grand feasts, these celebrations, these remembrances. But there are more feasts that you are yet to fulfill. So, Lord, when we, we look at those feasts of the fall, let us think about the return of Christ. Is coming back to receive his people. And, Lord, when we see the moon tonight, or the next time we see the moon. Let us consider how it reflects the key light and fills in and chases away the darkness until people can see the sun for themselves. Thank you, God. Lord, I do thank you for, for everything that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning and um, just the reminder of of you as the light of the world and um, just the sacrifice that you've made for us. Father, I lift up the, the needs within the church, Lord, and um, I lift up 
my friend Grace, Lord, and I ask that you would bring healing to her back and um, Lord, freedom and, and deliverance from all of the ailments that just keep reoccurring in her life, the migraines and vertigo. And Father, it disturbs me so much when I hear of people that have recurrent physical illnesses, Lord. And Father, I lift up Julie too with her neck pain and ask that you just completely heal that, Lord. Just completely heal that so she doesn't have to deal with this anymore. And Father, I lift up the other needs within the church. Uh, we think of Eva right now, who's um, with her mom that's going through chemo. Lord, we ask for, for healing for her mom and grace for Eva. And for Galena also as she's away with her mom. And um, Lord, we lift up, um, um, oh, I totally lost her name. That just had the C-section and the baby, Lord. Amanda. Amanda. Yes, Amanda. And be with her and Vianney, Lord, and let's celebrate their, their wedding anniversary. And um, I pray for Rebecca, too, that's, that's going to be having her baby soon. And we ask it to be a blessing to her. And we ask all these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, again, thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Randy. Um, next Sunday, we'll have another testimony sharing as end the message. So we're looking forward to that. God bless you all, everybody. Love you all. Bye. 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 Bye, everyone. God bless you all. Bye. He's gone.